for me, the meaning of, of life is to do what, what, whatever I can with what I've got. I was taught, I was taught by my mother really very early to always um, be grateful at the end of the day <laughs> that, um, that, that what I, of what I had and what we have. And I, I just remember however, whatever she suffered, and my mother suffered a huge amount given what she went through with losing her, fa her husband and managing uh, eight children. I mean, she, she worked as a nurse at night and uh, God knows how she did it. But she always, at the end of the day, she always said thank you. And she always encouraged us to say thank you. So I am just constantly um, delighted with the fact that I'm alive. Hi, my name is Francis Lynch, and welcome to the Living With Purpose interviews. In this episode, I'm talking with Maria Harris, who has been a social worker, academic, writer, activist, and a leader of many community sector boards. Welcome, Maria. Thanks for joining me on the Living With Purpose podcast. I'm looking forward to having a conversation uh, with you about how purpose plays out in your life. Um, can I start off just by asking, how do you introduce yourself to people? <laughs> um, well, usually I'm introduced, I'm just introduced myself as Maria. Um, and when I'm introduced, well, I think it's probably more interesting, people call me various things. Um, and uh, I just usually say, no, I just would rather be called Maria. And, and do you think that that's changed over time? Are there people who know you for a long time who that hasn't changed but as you've lived your life there are other people who see you in terms of what you do oh i think so i find it really i find it really awkward and interesting um what images people may have of me and they sometimes share because um it's um i've just become chair of a, of a, a national organization and um, and I'm very aware that I'm seen by that organisation as somebody who can assist them at, at a very difficult time. And yes, I, I still find it a struggle to think of myself as anybody other than um, somebody who just puts her best foot forward and does what I can for whoever is hanging around me, really, or not hanging around. You, you have done a lot in your life, and, and you know you've got a lot of uh, honorifics and and. Your CV, I'm sure, is, is is very long, and if it was a detailed one, would be very long. But um, do you see the narrative of that in your life? Do you do you think that that tells a story about you, or is it really just uh, like how how do you see that? Yeah, it, look, it's really interesting. To, I've thought about this, and I don't know how I'm going to answer it. Uh, somebody gave me a bracelet. Uh, a young man gave me a bracelet a couple of years ago, and it had on it. She did it because she thought she should. And he said, in fact, what I mean is uh, you did it because you knew you could. So we had this conversation. This young man is a young man I've kind of looked after in many ways. Um, he was in care most of his life and he's had an awful life. So that told me a story then and we had this conversation then. And, and I think it's true. I, I just do what I do. Partly because I think I can. Sometimes I don't think I can and I do it anyway. But really, mm. really because 
um, it feels, and I, I was brought up this way, it feels like, and it's a, it's a term that's used in the Catholic Church a lot, um, what you're called to do. I've, I've always had a sense that um, I'm not on my own journey. I'm on, I'm a, and I'm not saying I'm on somebody else's journey. I'm on a journey that um, in which I'm called to do whatever I can in the moment. And so that's what I do, which is why I said yes to Sheila Saul all those years ago, um, sharing mercy care. Uh, it it yeah. just felt like um, it's something that I need. I had to do. Mm. Terrible. Mm. Terrible. I mean, it, it, well, it? It, it, it sounds as like it sounds like my my life isn't in my hands, and it's not. <laughs> I've never had a ten year plan or a five year plan or even an a year plan. Hmm. But but you make decisions as they come to you. I think I think seriously about them, um, and I do say no at times. But I, but if 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 I understand, I try to understand the moment and um and i do talk about it with um i have a couple of people i've always shared thoughts with and so i don't do everything i'm asked to do but i do tend to um go in various down ra various rabbit holes really mm. and is that something like if you look back to your younger self uh, mm. is that how you started off in terms of you know when you were were a young young woman and and making your way is that saying yes to things is that how you've sort of come to be where you are Look, I, I think I have thought a lot about where how I came to be what I am and I was brought up in Africa born in Africa and brought up by um my my father was a um a, a, med, a medico my mum was a nurse but they were really medical missionaries with the, with the Catholic Church in both converts to Catholicism, and um, and so I was brought. But really, in a sense, the most important person in my early life was Clara, who was a, um, a nanny who looked. She she was what was it, what was called. I think may still be called a cake coloured. But she, um, but the whole that it was a mixture of, of Catholicism, which really was not about the hierarchical church. It was about um, we're all made in God's image, and so there is no one is better than anyone else. That was the kind of philosophy, and my, my parents were um, very involved in uh, fighting against racism in Africa. But the other bit of it was the African philosophy of Ubuntu, which uh, was very powerful and still is very powerful for me. And it's a it's an extraordinary humanitarian kind of view of 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 life, um, communitarian, I guess. Strictly speaking, I think it means something like I am because you are, but it's much broader than that. It's, um, you know, we, we all share a common humanity. And for me, it's the, it's, it's the, the spiritual side of um, what my parents taught me, which is that every, if we're all, we're all um, made of the same flesh. So that's that's kind of where I I've always been, and um, clearly clearly it was in my DNA to to end up being what I am. See, my, my I've got to come from a large family, and my siblings, what seven siblings, well six still alive, but um, they're all 
all of them, I think, deeply into ecology, into the ecological world, and um, and I I think it's the same, <laughs> and 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 very much working not just for you know the the world, but also for the indigenous world. So the for me, there are mm. strong links between my upbringing and the now indigenous world of spirituality, which I think is so so important for our Australian sense of being, let alone for the future of our Indigenous peoples. That's a long answer. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. It was really interesting to hear. I, I didn't understand that about you. And so when you came back to Australia, what, what, what age were you? Now, we went from Africa. My parents were thrown out of um, Africa and we went to the UK, which is where they'd originally come from, and then we came to Australia. I think I was about 13. I've never actually, I must check that. Okay. And we went to Tasmania, where, um, west coast of Tasmania, which is where we then were. Hmm. I know part of your history is the sort of the social work coming into being in that sort of world of, you know, academic and practice. What's that mean for you in terms of the way that your life's then been lived over the last large number of years? Is that is that an important part of who you see yourself as? I'm really a gardener at heart. And I had to toss up when I did my first degree, whether I did medicine or um botany or psychology and for some reason I found myself in psychology and politics um, and then came to WA to do social work so, so I've always been a bit of a um, an agitated practitioner it wasn't until I came to WA that West Australia 30 years ago actually that I kind of settled into what was meant to be an academic role but as you say, I've I've never been a, until more recently. Interestingly, I've never been a a true academic. I don't think, and and that's partly because teaching because I taught in social work school at UWA University of WA. Um, it was all consuming. Uh, so it was all consuming. Mm. I had no time. I, I had little time to be a proper academic um, who spent most of the time researching and writing because I just, it was, the teaching was so demanding. And the other bit mm. of me that kept me, I kept being called to do, which was to be and to do the work, um, I straddled that a lot. So I did a lot of consulting work um, and a lot of, um, as you know, governance work and work with organisations whose work I valued. So I was never mm. a very totally mm. successful academic. I say that because in the last few years I've been an honorary uh, at the University of WA and I have thoroughly enjoyed not teaching, <laughs> although I do like teaching, but just supervising research students and um, being involved in research and finally being able to write. But you've always written, though. Not as much. Not as not as much as I've not as much as I would have liked to have, and certainly not as much as I plan to do. I'm still not writing as much as I should. Yeah, I, I love it. Mm. Can I can I ask in terms of teaching, like who who have been your biggest teachers? Probably, yeah. Oh, look, that's a that's a lovely question, and I've and I've said it so. I've, I've, 
I've said this so often, my greatest teachers have really been the people I've worked with, um, and I mean the, the men and women and children who have taught me how to be, um, to be, I think humble's not the word, um, to continually question my assumptions. Um, I mean, I've worked with one of my greatest teachers at the moment is a, an extraordinary Aboriginal woman who I met a long time ago and we travelled through an awful, her awful, awful, awful life journey and she's she's come out the other end and she's just taking the world by storm at the moment and I just keep, she says to me um, recently and I've learnt a lot and I said, no, <laughs> I've learnt far more from you. So that's, that's, who my, that's one group. The other, for me, the other teachers are, I'm a frustrated philosopher as well as a frustrated gardener. Um, are, the, are the, the philosophical thinkers of today. So my passion really is reading reading contemporary philosophy rather than rather than um, classical philosophy. So I don't know who my teachers are. But anyone I can learn from, you're it at the moment. <laughs> so, so some of the people that you have. I mean, it, 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 the language here is so constraining because you you talked about somebody you work with, um, and and there's this whole language of power around: is it somebody who I'm supporting? Is it somebody I'm helping? Is it somebody who's a client? You know, there's there's all this stuff, but it seems as though really what you're saying is is the people who you've had the opportunity to walk alongside to work with to to journey alongside has that been a consistent thing is that something that you've learned more over time or is it gosh it's interesting to be asked these questions the um i i wasn't i, I wasn't brought up um with a silver spoon and i wasn't brought up to believe that anybody was any worse or better than me. We were all the same. So if the, my introduction to classes at university always, I used to, for a time I had the, the students on the day one and I would say to them, the most important lesson I just want you to share with you is that there is no them and us. There is just us. There yeah. is just us. And so, um, you know, we. my father died when um, leaving uh, mum, mother as a widow in a new country um, with eight children, and um, and you know we were we were significantly poor. In fact, we lived in one of the poorest suburbs of um, Tasmania. And uh, you know, I'd I've never seen the people I work with as anything other than um, people who are sharing a journey with me. Now, that doesn't mean I break the boundaries all the time. Um, it, it, I'm very aware of the boundary. You know, I've always been aware of boundaries and you have to have some regardless. But um, we share a common humanity. I'll go back to my, my ground. I, you know, I, I, we share a common humanity. So they are my teachers and I am their teacher. Lovely man by the name of Jim Barber, Professor Jim Barber, was a colleague of mine in Adelaide. Mm. He wrote a book a book called Beyond Casework. And it, it was a philosophy he and I shared. Um, he's just retired as the um, 
from one of the universities on the Eastern Seaboard. I can't remember which one. But um, that's one um, one of the, the lessons I learned from, from a, a book he wrote is that something I've always done, which is to say this is my role at the moment when I'm working with someone and um, this is a job I've got to do and this, this, this is... Um, this may or may not help you, but in what we're doing together, you will be. In, you will. I, I will be getting wisdom from you too. It, it reminds me. It reminds me of a quote which is often attributed to Leela Watson, um, where you know the Aboriginal activist from Queensland who, you know, said, "If you come to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together." Oh, I like that. And I don't know that quote, but I think I'll. I'll, I'll write it down. That's lovely. Leela Watson. I'll send do, it to please you. do. Mm. I feel that very strongly, very strongly. Yeah, well, it came to mind in, in listening to what you were saying because really I, I, I absolutely understand where you're coming from with that, but I'm not sure that that's always uh, within the, the community, but I think within the helping professions, that's not always the perspective that people have. Look, it's um, it definitely isn't, uh, and it's a struggle. I think it's a struggle with um, that all professions, so-called, you know, professions have. You do. There is clearly a, a need for boundaries, and I think you, 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 we grow into the capacity to hold boundaries at the same time as we 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 share our common humanity. Um, it's not. I know people from all professions who are able to to actually, and it sounds terrible, cross the boundaries, to stay within that their shared humanity. A very quick story. Um, I um, was uh, meeting up with a medical friend of mine and he had his arm around a, a young man, a, a man who was in his early 20s, like, yeah, early 20s. And this young man had been in... Um, in uh, in care uh, with the state in statutory care all his life as a child, and he was he was at this stage um, a, a very serious heroin user, and he was coming for for treatment at a, at a at a clinic, and uh, I was introduced to this young man, and he re- he reeled back uh, when I was introduced as um, as a social worker. I wasn't working with that group at the time. I was just visiting. And um, he looked at me and it was the most honest um, statement. It was just one of those statements that threw me. He looked at me and he said, I, he said I, I've been in care all my life and this is the first person who's put his arm around me, talking about that medic, medical practitioner. He said none of the social workers yeah. in all those years ever touched me. And it was it was you know his craving for for connection <laughs> had never been met and here this this particular medico does it all the time he doesn't people think he may cross the boundaries but he is deeply humane and there're lots of there're lots of people mm. who can do that who can hold the professionalism as well as the humanity without mm. without mm. Um, relegating people to the other, which is what we so easily do in professional practice. Long story. No, 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 it's interesting. 
the essence, I suppose, of what you're speaking about in that story, but also before that, just in terms of being in that space with people, has that influenced your decisions about what to say yes to and and uh, what to allocate your your time and your energy to? I'm not sure. Um, I would hope so. Um, I'm assuming that sits behind. <laughs> I'm assuming it sits behind what I what I try to do. Um, it's just I just feel so strongly that we just share a common humanity, and that there isn't a, a them and an us, um, and we all go. And it is so fundamental to it's so fundamental to where we need to go into the future. I think. You know, we're sitting today at this watershed time, yet another watershed time in the world as um, we await the outcomes of the American election. And uh, and I, I really do have a sense that um, we we need with this this healing this healing everywhere that is required, but we're not going to be able to heal if we sit in these dyadic worlds. You know this dyadic world of good and bad, of um, uh, black and white, and and I mean that literally. So, yeah, I, I just think acknowledging our shared humanity is fundamental to moving forward. <laughs> and I know I asked you before about who, who are some of the significant teachers. Are there are there, yeah, are there other people who've really influenced how? you've come to understand the world. I know through that experiential, uh, you know, being with somebody and, and hearing stories and being able to see and learn from that, but are there other people who've really influenced your perspective in terms of how how you come to be now? Going back, my one of my um, early uh, heroes was my first professor of psychology who was Jim Cardner in the University of Tasmania who was... Um, both as a psychologist and a philosopher, um, deeply um, psychoanalytic. Um, so he he was a and his wife uh, Kath was a social worker actually, an extraordinary woman. They were probably two people who had a huge impact on me. But I don't know that I can't name. I really fundamentally, you know. It wasn't with all of the all of the practice world I was involved in and the academic world, it wasn't and I hadn't thought about this till recently. It wasn't until I went I accepted that role at Mercy Care as chair and I was invited by the Sisters of Mercy to do that role. Uh, funnily enough, one of the reasons I said yes is there was an inevitability about it because one of the sisters had been a student in a master's class of mine, and she had she she had taught me. Sister Anne Tormey had taught me so yeah. much in that in the time I was her lecturer in in a master's class. I'd learned so much from her, and it really wasn't until I joined Mercy Care that a I came back to a deep. A deep connection with my own faith, but also I was um, I was aware of a, 
a, a philosophical way of being as a worker in the world, which um, which the mercy story was about. So for me, it was such a powerful connection, and it has stayed with me. That stayed with me. So I think they have been my greatest teachers. And uh, Sister Anne Tormey is still one of my great teachers, by the way. We still have yeah. lots of, of contact. Mm. You know, I, I was at Mercy Care at the time when you were on the board, and I think my experience, not just of Mercy Care, but of other organisations as well, is is that when a a really strong origin story, mm-hmm. if I can put it that way, you know, like a like a a way, a story that really makes a reason why the organisation exists, you know, it really does have an amazing opportunity of of creating meaning for the people in the organisation and and can create an energy in that organisation. And and certainly I have experienced that within uh, Mercy Care and and some other organisations. And, yeah, I I think really most organisations within the community do need to have some version of that story, some way of creating opportunity for meaning and and bringing people together. You've mentioned philosophy two or three times Mm. now. So... Um, you know, you were talking about reading at the moment and, and some modern philosophers. What I mean, philosophy is such a, an interesting uh, sort of sphere in the sense that most people, even if they were reading something that was philosophical, wouldn't necessarily identify yeah. it as such. Mm. Or mm. so, so what what does that really mean to you? Like, what when you say philosophical or the philosophy writers that you're reading at the moment what what draws you to that i'm just much you're absolutely spot on Uh, my favorite podcast at the moment is the minefield with waleed ali and um gosh what's his name scott stevens uh and it's um it's really it's a weekly podcast on the abc exploring the meaning and meaning of issues in modern life that's what it's about and they have, they, I don't know that they're both philosophers. I think um, Scott is, Waleed Ali is naturally a philosopher. Uh, for me, it is just exploring the meaning of modern life. That's what, what is, what is it actually about? Um, and so one of, one of the most extraordinary books I've read more recently is um, Sasha Sagan's book, um, and uh, she's the daughter of Carl Sagan, who was in fact um, an atheist, mm. but uh, but mm. a man who who was always um, I used to listen to when I was young. So he was probably somebody who was an inspiration to me, who who was always inspired by the extraordinary mystery of the universe. Now he didn't attribute the mystery to God, to a God, but he attributed. He, he, you know, it was the mystery. The mystery of the universe itself was sufficient to keep him excited in life. And and his daughter Sasha has um, has written a book about where she is now. And what she has capitalised on in her her father's story is the importance of valuing and experiencing that mystery and celebrating that mystery and celebrating life. So. Um, mm. That that's the sort of kind of that um, uh, indigenous history. What you what you say about the origin story is really significant for me in terms of indigenous storytelling. The power, the the yeah. importance, and the power, and what 
how much we can learn from that. Um, and a, a, an Aboriginal friend of mine um, said to me years ago, he, he was having trouble with his son and he said, he said to his son, how do you want, when you are an ancestor, how do you want the future generation to remember you? What is the yeah. story you want them to tell about you? And it was such a powerful one for me. I used it with my son. It didn't work. But um, it's, it's there's something about the stories that are, we are all part of the story. And the, the Mercies certainly have a powerful origin story, but so do, so do we all. Good and good and bad, mm. if, and hold it. And that's something that Sasha Sagan talks about: the significance of stories. This podcast is called Living with Purpose, and and I always get around at some point to asking, what what do you see, or how do you see purpose? But I think meaning is part of this as well. So for you, how how do you describe meaning and and purpose in your life now? How do I explain? Well, I've got a new grandson. He's not so new. He's two. And he reminds me all the time of um, how important it is we leave our lives to the full because um, you can see the imprint on him. Um, I think I go back, right back to the beginning of, of this, Francis, and that is that um, for me, the meaning of, of life is to do what, what, whatever I can with what I've got. And I am so, I'm, I, I was taught, I was taught by my mother really very early to always um, be grateful at the end of the day <laughs> that, um, that, that what I, what I had and what we have. And I, I just remember, however, whatever she suffered, and my mother suffered a huge amount given what she went through with losing her fa her husband and managing uh, uh, eight children. I mean, she, she worked as a nurse at night and uh, God knows how she did it. But she always, at the end of the day, she always said thank you and she always encouraged us to say thank you. So I am just constantly um, delighted with the fact that I'm alive, you know, and 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 if you engage with individuals or, or collectivities, whether it's neighbours or whatever, in the in the in that kind of world of gratitude, I, I just think life is great. So that my purpose is to keep living. Uh, I don't really want to die slowly. Um, I want to die quickly, but um, I just hope that I'm I'm gracious in whatever. In whatever way I go, hmm. it it sounds from the way that you spoke about that that the relationships with people are really important as part of that. That each relationship is important. There's no valuing one more than the other. I don't see relationships as um, transactional or instrumental. Uh, for me, they are just what they are. Um, relating in the moment so by that I, I've, I've never been somebody who who, ha, who has friendships because of what they can give to me <laughs> I just don't I just don't think of life that way so um, I'm just enormously grateful for the friends I've got and the people I've um, that are in my life 
somehow I've chosen I've just mm. somehow I've chosen this fantastic bunch of human beings from around the world who are good human beings. Even a couple of them are Trump supporters, but they're still good human beings. But isn't that interesting because whether or not somebody is a good human being often has little to do with what they do or what they believe or what they talk, you know, their, their, um, their politics. And, and yet we're in this world which is really, you know, polarised yeah. around some of yeah. those attributes that we see in people. I think fundamentally I believe, I see it probably... I, naive Pollyanna, whatever I am, I, I really do believe that most people are inherently kind. And um, Jacinta Ardern is, oh, by the way, she is, Jacinta Ardern is one of my heroes at the moment. And when she was elected, I remember seeing the interview when she was elected and she was in the car going to Parliament House or wherever she was going and she was asked by the, the um, reporter uh, what she would like to see in New Zealand, what would be her um, her hope for New Zealand. And she didn't say, you know, I'd like to see a, develop, a development in GDP or what. Well, she said, I would just like to see a lot more kindness. And she has, she has um, that's been her motto. So for me, I see yeah, most people yeah. as being inherently kind but really struggling with, as you say, the, the 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 kind of the fear, the fears, um, the polarization that fears uh, produce, which is what we see in the United States. I mean, we don't see a polarization of kind and unkind people. We see a polarization about fright. For, for me, that my understanding is, uh, people who are frightened, um, variously frightened. There are a lot of ways that we can create fear, you know, for our... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Are you hopeful? I'm always hopeful. Uh, Somebody said to me recently, you can be hopeful without being optimistic. Um, So I'm hopeful without being a Pollyanna, I think, (laughs) Uh, because I think we have to have hope. And, uh, And every day, you know, every day I experience it, that, you know, the joy of people, you know, kids, you know, just somebody picking up. The other day somebody, you know, ran after this woman who dropped, you know, a $20 bill on the road and this little boy just picked it up and ran after her and said, lady, lady. And it was just, you know, those sort of things keep me going, the inherent kindness and generosity and decency. And we've seen it through COVID, I think. But it takes a like a particular mindset to be able to notice that. So, so obviously that is you are tuned into being able to see that around you. Yeah, I Would that be fair to yeah, say? Yeah, I don't tune into nastiness. Um, I don't even notice it. But I, I, I think I choose to be blind to it, which makes me um, naive at times. Are there particular things that you do to uh, maintain your energy and to to give you the you know the energy to keep going at what's important to you but look I, I i do what i said earlier i think i don't know what i do consciously but but i do know that at the end of every day i reflect on um all of the good things that happened that day i don't reflect <laughs> i don't reflect on the bad things unless something really terrible has happened and i can't get it out of my mind but mostly no i'm 
mostly I, I am very grateful for the fact that I was I was taught very early that gratitude, uh, it just even having a shower, you know, even being able to have a hot shower, the majority of the people in the world don't have that. And yet we're mm. not, mm. I just, I find it mesmerising that we can't appreciate what we've got. So, but I'm lucky I was taught that. And and these days we would say there's evidence to show that a gratitude practice is very helpful. Oh, there really? Is there research <laughs> evidence? Of, uh, I, I think there is, yes. I think I try as best I can to stay in the moment. Uh, I don't do it very well. But um, when I'm feeling down, I, I am a frustrated gardener. I, my preference is to be gardening than writing at the moment. But um, but I do think that gardening gives you an earthiness and a and a, a kind of a a reengagement with what again our Aboriginal friends and colleagues talk about a lot. You know that Mother Earth is actually um, where we are. So Mother Earth is. Uh, our feet are planted and the energy comes from Mother Earth and we better look after it. Pope Francis is an inspiration to me, by the way. Um, thank God for Pope Francis. Okay. Um, Jacinda mm. Ardern, Pope Francis, Angela Merkel. <laughs> mm. um, so gender neutral. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you mentioned uh, the podcast from Waleed Ali and and uh, the other person I can't remember now, but um, and and the the book by uh, Carl Sagan's daughter. But is there anything else that's really meant something to you recently in terms of listening or reading? Oh, um, I'm <coughs> um, Soul Search, the Minefield, and the Philosopher's Zone are my my daily podcasts. I walk with the dog. I walk with the dogs every morning and listen to one of those three. And probably the most powerful one more recently was, in fact, a um, a, a podcast with um, an Aboriginal theologian um, called Deverell, um, and he's written a book uh, called Gondwana Theology. He's an Anglican um, priest somewhere in Victoria, I think, but he's a Tasmanian Aboriginal man. And... Um, and the, the so I'm a bit enchanted at the moment with the links between um, indigenous spirituality. Um, I've, I'm doing just interesting. Oh gosh, um, uh, I'm doing this research. Which I've been involved in research over the last few years on school chaplaincy, and um, <clears throat> we're doing a. Um, an evaluation of outcomes of school chaplaincy nation, nationally. It's been difficult during COVID times. But one of why it's been particularly interesting to me has been the significance of spirituality for children, for young people, the concepts of spirituality, not religion, <laughs> but spirituality. And kids talk about the meaning of life in many different ways. They don't talk about it in God terms. They talk about it in meaning of life terms. And one of the most powerful bits of learning we did doing that was talking to Aboriginal leaders in the northwest of, of WA uh, about um, what was important, in, they thought, in terms of uh, chaplaincy in the schools up there. And for them, for the ones that Rosemary, my, my research colleague, talked to, 
it was the significance that they couldn't understand how non-Aboriginal people didn't realise the significance of spirituality in the lives of children. Um, and so that for me has been an inspiring journey search and, and it's taken me into Indigenous spirituality in quite a significant way. So um, that book on Gondwana theology has only just been released and I've only just bought it, but I'm looking forward to reading it because mm -hmm. um, I think it does link back to my my African heritage and um, the whole notion of Ubuntu, which isn't which mm -hmm. isn't mm -hmm. earth based, by the way, which is interesting. It's not earth based. It's much more relational. Anyway. Oh, okay. Early yeah. days. Early days. Early days. I do remember saying to my mother, well, that's not true. I don't remember saying it to her, but I remember she told me I said it to her that when I was about 10, I said to her, I'm looking forward to dying because when I die, I'll understand everything. So, <laughs> my, oh, wow. My search, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm constantly excited by reading, and, and that's where philosophy comes in, I think. I noticed just, I'm not sure if you know of Catherine Masson, but she's just released a book on the um, the journey of uh, the Benedictines in um, New Norcia. So so really is the story of the Benedictine nuns oh. and their engagement and, and sort of history with the Aboriginal people uh, there. And, um, yeah, I haven't had a chance to look at it, but, um, yeah, it, it really... It, looks as though that also tells a bit of the story of the the sort of spirituality that the the aboriginal women brought into that experience and how it changed the benedictines to some degree as well so, absolutely and yeah. the mercies told that story of the the time in um in the northern north of um, west australia in balga how how significantly the mercies i met up there and the St. john of god sisters um, how, how much they were influenced by the women, the Aboriginal women, and the strength um, and the spirituality of those women. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I'm uh, coming to the end of, of our conversation, and, and I'm just wondering if there's anything that's just sitting with you that you wanted to mention before we, we finish up. Um, I, th I think, oh, no, I don't know. I could, sp I could go on to, I like, I, I don't, I like talking and answering questions. Um, I'm, my mind goes down too many other rabbit holes, but I think the <laughs> one the one thing that the one thing going back to Aristotelian thinking, I think um, I, I, that drives me still is the notion that we don't we don't do enough to understand in our lives the significance of the power we have or don't have or think we have or think others have. But it's almost like it, it, it feels to me at the moment that we're, we've gone so steadily down a capitalist, and I'm not anti-capitalist, by the way. I'm not, I'm not just because I'm, I'm, critic, I'm critical of what capitalism in its current mm -hmm. form mm -hmm. is doing. But individualism, yeah. uh, you know, Extreme individualism and extreme capitalism um, ain't working no more. And but going down those those paths of competition, acquisition, uh, 
wealth, greed, non-stop has actually stopped us thinking, and this is going back to my interest in philosophy, stopped us thinking about our ordinary everyday lives and what is important other than making money and being successful. So, no, my only thought, I just keep going down a rabbit hole of philosophical thinking, really. Mm. Well, these these rabbit holes and, and, you know, side paths are what makes life interesting, but certainly makes conversations interesting. And, look, I've appreciated your time in having a conversation with me. I, I certainly have have learnt a little more about who you are and, and the way that you think and... I really hope that uh, um, the people who listen to this will appreciate that in you. And look, I really uh, thank you for the time that you've given me today in having this conversation. My pleasure, Francis. I look forward to seeing you another time. Absolutely. Travel well.